0: Hello and welcome to The Pulse. Later in this week's show, is the crackdown on corruption in the People's Republic of China serious? And we also look at the Mongkok Pedestrian Zone, which is going to be curtailed as cars once more held sway for five days a week. First though, protests are still continuing in Thailand, with demonstrators this morning moving into six different sites. There have been similar scenes in Bangkok over the years, and some have even involved military intervention is it likely to go so far this time
1: they
2: want to take over this country take take over the government
3: almost a week, hundreds of thousands of protesters, many of them diehard opponents of Thaksin Shinawat, have been staging an anti-government demonstration in central Bangkok. The protests have moved from place to place over the week. On Monday, they raided the compound of Thailand's finance ministry and entered the grounds of the foreign ministry. Through the week, they have occupied others. Despite that, protests have mostly been peaceful and the police restrained. They have made little effort to stop the blockading and occupation of the ministries. The protests have several origins. One has particular significance. Taksin's sister, Yingluck Shinawat, is now prime minister. Recently, her government attempted to pass an amnesty bill that would have granted amnesty to Taksin and others. He is currently residing in Dubai and facing corruption charges in Thailand. The attempt was rejected on November 11th, but it has the reinforced idea among many that she is a puppet of her brother. For many Thai people, the bill was also a charter for corruption, with the country's anti-corruption commission warning that it could have killed off over 25,000 craft cases. Protest leader Suta Tashban has threatened to extend the fight to government offices in provincial areas. On Thursday, the Prime Minister had to face a no confidence motion in Parliament. She survived the motion by 297 to 134 votes. But the real test now is whether she can quell the dissatisfaction in the streets. The Prime Minister has said the protesters' actions threaten the stability of the government and that the Internal Security Act is to be extended in Bangkok and surrounding areas including the province in which the city's main airport is located. But she is also reluctant to use force against protesters for fear of escalating the conflict. Even though an arrest warrant has been issued against protest leader Tasuban and on an ordinary though, opinion remains deeply divided. <laughs>
0: With us in the studio is Professor Mark Thompson, who's the director of the Southeast Asia Research Center at the City University of Hong Kong. Let me ask you the the obvious question here, which is how do you think these protests are going to pan out?
4: Well, I think there are basically only two possibilities. One is the protests gradually dissipate and there's some sign that the numbers are declining already. Um, or there's some sort of uh, polarization, uh, repression that goes wrong or a military coup that, that further polarizes the situation and leads to something like we saw in 2006, a military coup or some sort of indirect uh, change of government through pressure from behind the scenes, particularly from the military as in 2008. But um, I think given the current state of, uh, of Thailand the first scenario is more likely. that The protesters, I think, have overplayed their hand.
0: But what, what we also know is that, that you had a more or less continuous stream of protests for the last, what, two decades almost. I mean, does that what does that tell us about where Thailand is?
4: Well, the current sort of cycle of protests goes back to around 2005, when there was a mounting movement against Thaksin, who was a very popular leader but unpopular among the Bangkok middle classes and elite. So that led to his uh, overthrow by the military in 2006. Elections were held in 2007. Uh, a pro-Taxan government came into power. That was then eased out uh, through indirect pressure, as I mentioned, 2008. There's been kind of a pause since 2011 when the current government of Yinglang Chittawat, of course the sister of Taxan, took power. And uh, some observers were thinking, well, maybe this is, uh, A gradual easing of the polarization but the last few weeks have showed us that that was just uh, a temporary uh, pause and things have resumed and the polarization continues and basically uh, the political camps are unchanged since that initial protest period about um, eight years ago
0: I mean is it it really true to say as of course her critics do say that Yinluck is simply a proxy for her brother and he's sitting in wherever it is in the Middle East Mm -hmm. pulling strings
4: Sure, of course she's directly linked to her brother. She wouldn't be prime minister if it wasn't for her brother's influence and the fact that her brother uh, dominates this party is the symbol of this particular camp in Thailand. She's put some particular accents on policy. Uh, She showed a a certain skill in the last two years in navigating uh, a couple of difficult issues. I think the amnesty uh, bill, which started this really renewed protest cycle, was a mistake, and the assumption is that that came from Thaksin himself, that he thought that things had settled down enough for him to push this amnesty bill that would allow him to come back to Thailand.
0: Do you think that this instability in Thailand actually matters to the region, or does it just matter to Thailand?
4: Well, in the first instance, of course, it matters to Thailand, but I think it matters to the region because there are a number of countries in the region trying to establish uh, new democracies, not just, of course, Thailand, but Indonesia, and the Philippines, of course, for a number of years. And all of them have had difficulties. And one interesting thing, I think, to observe in both Thailand and the Philippines is the fact that uh, when poor people find a political figure that they admire and then vote for in great numbers, the middle class gets very nervous. There was a president of the Philippines, Joseph Estrada, who was overthrown in 2001, and I would draw parallels to what's going on in Thailand. In Thailand, however, Thaksin has persisted he didn 't give up when he was overthrown. he marshaled his forces. The red shirt movement emerged, and he 's proved very difficult to get rid of and that 's frustrating the Bangkok uh, middle class is an elite uh, and this This is an indication of the frustration I think that 's one thing that 's going on they 're very frustrated that it 's been nearly a decade and they haven 't been able to really get rid of toxin they 're trying once again, but it looks like uh, they will not succeed in the long run
0: i mean this is one of the great paradoxes of this movement isn 't it You have this tremendously rich man, and Taksin clearly is a tremendously rich man, being seen as a champion of the
4: poor. It is indeed. It is indeed. He he kind of evolved into this role. When he first was elected uh, in 2001 he portrayed himself as somebody who would help Thailand out of the financial crisis and appealed to people across social classes. And he kind of did that, didn't he? He did indeed. He helped Thailand recover, but I think what happened is because he also had programs to help the poor And because he was such a successful prime minister for several years, that he began to worry certain elite forces and uh, that plus a series of corruption scandals led them to organize these mass protests against him. But as people have mobilized against him, and and these opponents are not all just Bangkok elites. uh, Thaksin's opponents also have support in the south of Thailand. But nonetheless, when that happened, Thaksin sort of naturally resorted to poor people in the north, particularly the northeast. Um, So that's the way this sort of divide occurred. It wasn't really intentional. Toxin didn't start out as that kind of populist politician, but as his his critics and the elite pushed him in that direction, he uh, was, was rather skilled in making those kind of appeals.
0: Well, Mark Thompson, thank you very much indeed. And we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. At the last major meeting of China's leaders, the message seemed clear. This government is going to get tough on corruption. And now there's even news that a senior official in charge of handling petitions is being investigated by the Communist Party. The detention of Xu Ji, who is Deputy Chief of the State Bureau for Letters and Calls, is the latest corruption investigation announced since that meeting, and his bureau has been labelled one of the worst breeding grounds for graft. But... Are the recent cases a sign of a genuine crackdown? How determined is the government to go after corruption root and branch? Well, with us in the studio is Dr. Jing Nan of the Hong Kong University Department of Politics and Public Administration. So let me ask you that question. I mean, how determined do you really think the government is to tackle corruption?
1: Uh, well, that's a very good question. Um, I do think the government, uh, the new administration is uh, very tough. They want to show their toughness on corruption. And actually based on the the number of data we have seen, uh, so far the government has arrested more senior officials than previous administrations. So at least they want the public to perceive that they are pretty determinant on corruption, uh, on anti-corruption.
0: Because, of course, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure you know, one of the interpretations that Mm -hmm. some analysts put on this Mm -hmm. is that the the anti-corruption drive is also a drive by President Xi Jinping to centralize his power. Mm -hmm. And this happens to be a convenient way of doing that. Do, Mm -hmm. Do you subscribe to that view?
1: Uh, anti-corruption definitely is a good approach for Xi Jinping to consolidate his power. We can look at uh, what officials have been investigated so far. And they have, um, I think this time the campaign uh, has covered a wide range of government, different departments and localities. Uh, some of the officials are like you know, high-level high state council ministers. Uh, some are uh, provincial officials. Uh, some SOE uh, CEOs
0: This is state so enterprises.
1: Yes mm-hmm. so yes they, they make sure that no, uh, they want to show to others that nobody will be exempted from this the current anti-corruption movement.
0: Uh, and as you indicated earlier this is mm-hmm. hardly the first mm-hmm. a- anti-corruption drive. Mm-hmm. I mean how, how effective were the past ones?
1: Um, the I think the outcome is mixed. Uh, in the short run those anti-corruption campaigns did help to uh, control, to, to uh, curtail the corruption to some degree. But later on, uh, in the longer terms, we, we do actually, we still see some intensification of corruption in China. But well,
0: it actually so seems to have got worse and worse, does it not? Uh,
1: I think it's mainly the quality of corruption has changed. has become more complicated. Uh, more, more money involved. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Uh, more senior officials are involved uh, and cases are more uh, the formats of the corruption cases are more uh, sophisticated uh, and takes usually takes longer time for the government to investigate to, to uncover those cases actually in the 80s in the 1980s uh, usually it only took two years to uncover a case but when it came to this century it could take uh, 8 to 9, 8 to 10 years to uncover a corrupt official. So it becomes more difficult actually uh, to investigate a case.
0: And I I get the sense, I I don't Mm -hmm. know whether you do, that these anti-corruption drives are actually very popular among people in China.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is why uh, some scholars like uh, Professor Andrew Whitman in the United States, uh, he, he commented recently that you know, this anti-crushing campaign is mainly in the PR, the public relations uh, campaign for the CCP. Uh, so to some degree, this is uh, also uh, some kind of safe project for a new administration to carry out. Uh, so, I think people all observe this, whenever there's a new administration come into power, they tend to launch some anti-corruption corruption campaigns. The difference is just a degree. Some administrations probably uh, will launch large, a larger scale, just like the recent one. Uh, and, but people all know, cause corruption is very serious in China, or is even getting more serious uh, in China in the recent years. Uh, so definitely fighting corruption will win the public support.
0: Dr. Hsu, thank you very much. Let's see how all that works out. Pedestrians don't get much space in Hong Kong as a rule, but one place that they could walk unhindered by the internal combustion engine has been the pedestrian precinct in Mong Kok. It has also become a home to entertainers and activists, but it's now looking like Hong Kong's street culture is facing a setback.
2: The Mongkok
5: Pedestrian Precinct was initiated in the year 2000, it has since become popular with street performers, tourists, social activists, and even telecommunication services providers. But local residents and businessmen have been complaining that all these pedestrian uses are making the street too noisy. Last Thursday, 24 Chimong district councillors unanimously voted to reduce the opening days of the precinct to Saturdays, Sundays and public holidays only. The rest of the time,
2: they want it open to vehicles.
5: The Aochimong District Office sent out 745 consultation documents to residents, shop tenants, owners' corporations and committees, and received 120 replies. Around 78% of the replies supported the reduction in operating times for the pedestrian precinct. The street performers, though, are far from happy.
2: What we want
6: to
2: do is put our hip-hop
6: dance on the street, out there, just for people to watch and
2: enjoy.
1: 三六天才能讓我們表演開放這條街
2: 這個街道依然是這麼長
5: The Food and Environmental Hygiene Department says that so far this year it has prosecuted 31 illegal hawkers, 37 itinerant licensed hawkers and 418 who have obstructed the road for commercial activities. It also says it has seized 2,800 easy-mount frames like these used for commercial promotions. Some say, though, the commercial enterprises still dominate the street.
6: I cannot understand why the government, with all the Departments and Resources and Manpower it's got, uh, has failed to handle the situation and allow the situation to go from bad to worse. There are regulations that will regulate uh, the, the noise level, but the government has not been able to show any commitment to help regulate the situation. And at the same time, the government basically allows uh, the commercial and promotional activities to to further occupy much of the pedestrian district.
5: According to the transport department, there are around 13,500 pedestrians at peak hour 7 to 8 pm on weekdays and 19,500 pedestrians in the weekend at Yung Choi Street South. Legislator Kenneth Chan has been talking to the Yao Mong district councillors and the district office to see if there are better ways to solve the problems than closing down the area during the week. We
6: have come up with a number of very interesting ideas. First of all, a code of practice for all street performers regarding uh, how to use their equipment. And number two, we have come up with the idea of different zoning along the street. If the government could help by regulating or reducing such commercial promotion activities, then there would be room for more street performers or for the existing street performers to zone themselves into different areas and maybe to avoid performing right under um, the residence uh, uh, blocks.
0: Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. We're off for a stroll in Mong Kok. We'll see you at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye. Stand on your knees, stand Electric